Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Kim Strobel. As a leadership consultant and happiness coach, Kim Strobel helps businesses, organizations, and high achievers prioritize their health and well-being so they can reach new levels in their business and in their life. As a result, businesses and organizations take massive actions and create positive changes in every area. When she's not rescuing dogs or downing a McDonald's Diet Coke, Kim is also a nationally recognized consultant, speaker, and happiness coach who is deeply passionate about empowering others to live bigger, bolder, braver lives. With her contagious high-energy style, Kim has a unique ability to empower and embolden her audiences. Motivational, inspirational, and always approachable, Kim's Real Talk attitude is a refreshing approach that allows her to authentically connect with hearts and humans everywhere. And you're about to meet a happiness coach, and no, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. My next guest, Kim Strubble, is going to be talking about anxiety. Not just normal anxiety, but anxiety that becomes so overwhelming and all-consuming, it can take over your life. The good news is she's going to share how to how to overcome it. So if you're struggling, you'll learn some great strategies because she overcame it and you can too. Here's Kim. Okay, everybody. So we have Kim Strobel with us today and she's a happiness coach. So uh, we're going to be talking about really about how we betray ourselves as moms, how we betray ourselves just even with just how we jam ourselves up mentally, emotionally, sometimes physically, and most importantly, what we can do about it. So welcome, Kim. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, Debbie. Oh, thanks so much. So let's, I just love the whole idea of a happiness coach. I didn't even know they made those. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's funny. I started kind of just coining the term a few years ago, but I always have to be super clear that this does not mean I'm all sunshine and bubbles and glittery unicorns. Um, and I'm so glad you said that because my audience, I, I don't know if we would really resonate if that's where the only place you were coming from. Yeah, so... Uh, the birth of the happiness coach was really, um, my birthing was really out of my own really darkest struggles and trauma and adversity and challenges in life. And, um, and I'm willing to talk you through that story a little bit, but that is really what led me to become a, becoming a happiness coach. And again, you know, last week I was laying on my office floor crying and carrying on and thinking the world was going to end. And then today I feel pretty good and pretty happy and who knows what tomorrow will bring. But, um, what I know is I've done the research for 20 years. I know that we can take responsibility for our own happiness. I know it's hard and it's difficult and it's work. Um, but I also know that we can plant the seeds to really co-create our life uh, from the inside out. And so that's what I work to do. I'm just a practitioner of happiness, you know, and it's, it's a daily practice for me. You know, I, 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 love, I love where I feel like we're headed with this because you, you said a few things and, and one is it just, it sounds like you're taking full and complete responsibility for how you're showing up because it's so easy just to be so defeated and be, you know, and, and to be let down by life circumstances or things that have been, we've been dealt with and that sort of thing. And I really want to know how you move through them. But the other thing, you know, that I also see anybody who is really joyful, it seems like they, it's because they have this deep perspective. 
right? Because mm-hmm. if we haven't yes. been through anything dark, how do we appreciate the, all that goodness? So as much as we don't want to experience those things, this is the bliss that comes from, from that uh, perspective. So um, just two things I just noticed just by the little bit that yeah. you said, and I, I'd love to dive into that. Yeah. So let's start with maybe the, the darker times so we know what you wanted to move away from. Yeah. You know, I feel like I always kind of had this intense kind of contagious enthusiasm for life, even as a little girl, but I was also full of anxiety. So anybody, you know, my mom and dad would be the first to tell you that Kim has been an anxious person since she was a little teeny tiny girl. Um, but what ended up happening is I, I guess, you know, I, I look through my childhood and, and I see that I had the, these different maybe anxiety disorders, but at that time we didn't have a name for them. We didn't know what they were. We didn't understand them. Um, and so I was always doing weird little things like in junior high, if my dad wasn't home by a certain time, I was in the bathroom feeling sick, right? Because I had convinced myself that he had died in a car accident. And so I do have one of those brains, Debbie, that just um, can catastrophize really quickly. Um, and it's, it's a very anxious brain. I have an anxious body. I move fast. I talk fast. You know, this is who I am. And there's pluses to that. It makes me kind of a dynamo on the stage when I'm presenting. And then there's the downside, which is never really knowing how to settle the mind and um, working constantly to kind of rewire my own brain. So what happened was when I got in high school, um, it really catapulted. I started having these intense episodes of just terrible fear. Um, they would pop out of nowhere. I would be sitting in class or driving my car down the road. And all of a sudden, within a half of a second, my body would start to tremble. I would feel like I was going to faint. I feel like I knew my name, but didn't understand my name. And I knew I was on Tell Street driving home, but I was still feeling disoriented and confused about where I was. Um, and it was just absolute terror. And so because nobody knew what was wrong with me, this was really years and years that I spent um, feeling completely flawed. And to be honest with you, feeling completely betrayed by my own brain. Now, was it a panic attack? Were these panic attacks? Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't know know at the time. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I started having these episodes and they got worse and they got worse and they got worse and they were happening several times a day, all day long. And plus we did not know what they were. At first it was like, oh, she has low blood sugar or let's diagnose her with a seizure disorder. She has some kind of complex seizure disorder. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I started to completely limit my life, right? Because now I'm only safe in my home with my parents. Now I'm only safe you know, I can't leave the house by myself. I can't drive five minutes to Target. Um, I can't go to school. I can't go to basketball practice. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in fact, I can't function as well as two-year-olds. Two-year-olds can go to Walmart and they can go around the aisle away from their mommy. And I can't. And I'm 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And if I go to Walmart, I have to go with someone and they're not allowed to be out of sight. And so you can imagine what that does to a person. I mean, for me, I had this like internal uh, vivaciousness about me, Mm -hmm. but then I had this weird thing going on where I couldn't function like a normal human being. Now, what would happen when you were with other people? Like, let's say you were in, so you said you you couldn't go to school or you, or you did. I'm curious how you were with other people. 
so I was, I, I went to school, but I was constantly like having to leave the classroom and go to the office and, and kind of get calmed down. And again, they would like give me crackers with peanut butter and we just didn't know what it was and it just escalated. So what ended up happening, like then for some reason at basketball practice, if, if my mom or dad could come and like be in the stands in case I would start to feel funny, then I had my safe person with me. So I started to identify these people who I felt safe with that if I started to have whatever this episode was, if they were with me, um, it would quickly dissipate or prevent the episode from happening, so to speak. But if I was alone, they were really happening. Um, I think, you know, with, of course, you know this, right? It becomes the fear of the fear of mm -hmm. the fear. And so again, it just, like I would say from age 16 to age 23, it just progressively got worse and worse. Um, and, it and what got was the, the, yeah, and what, I'm so curious. What was the meaning that you made out of that? Like, what did you, what did you come to? That I was mentally ill and might need to be placed in a psychiatric hospital because I can't explain why all of a sudden I feel like the walls are caving in and I'm going to faint and I have extreme fear and I think I need to be institutionalized because I don't feel right in my body. And could you attach it to some uh, just th things that you would do or experience that would bring it on? Or you just thought this is, this is who you are? Yeah. I wish mm -hmm. so badly that I could even attach it to an event or something that, you know, is lodged in the back of my brain that I, for some reason, won't let come forth. But I actually think it is something that was probably happening in small little increments from the time I was a little girl. Um, and there's a real genetic tendency. Now we know like my mom has this, my aunt has this, my cousin has this, um, but they were completely out of the blue. And if I was at home with my mother, I felt at least a lot safer and the chances of it happening were a lot less than if I would get in my car and drive around the block, then it would happen um, or drive five minutes to school or be left at home by myself. Um, and of course, you know, what we feed grows. So when there's this fear and then you're, you're thinking about it and you're afraid, it's just making it worse and worse and worse. Yeah. That's why it developed into a full blown disorder, right? Because then what happened is every little sensation that my body had, I, I 24 seven was scanning my environment going, Oh my goodness. Does that door look right? Do, are the walls coming in? Oh gosh. Am I starting to shake? Is that, and so whatever, whatever you're paying attention to and focused on, that's, you know, exactly what you said it grows. And so because I became hypersensitive to every little thing that was going on, um, it just sent my, my, um, my adrenaline, you know, it just sent that system into uh, flight or flee mode easily, you know. And you must have been exhausted because when you're living like that, it's just, it's mentally exhausting and physically exhausting too and emotionally. Yeah. And like I said, I, did, I didn't even know what it was. I just thought that I was mentally ill because we didn't have a diagnosis until I was about 20. Three, I finally got told, actually, Kim, this is what you have. It's called panic disorder. Um, it's the chemicals in your brain. You are not crazy. Um, you know, and, and I had a doctor who just happened to be researching 
in the late, I guess it would be the late eighties, early nineties, he was researching a lot on anxiety disorders. He's the first one to diagnose me. Mm -hmm. And then I started seeing a psychologist who happened to also have an expertise. And I went through intense cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and of course I can tell you all the things that I still do to this day to manage it. Um, but for me, you know, like I, I ended up going to college for a year, but then I was of course having massive attacks all day long. So then I quit college hoping if I came back home, they would stop. And then, um, eventually I did, I developed the whole agoraphobia, right? You can't go to Walmart and don't drive anywhere by yourself. And in fact, don't leave the house and don't be by, by yourself in the house because it felt like all of those things brought on another attack. Yeah. Like the walls are really just closing in. So what, what did you do? I mean, that, that really, when you started feeling better or you noticed things were getting under control, what was it that was making the difference for you? Well, what happened was, um, in my early twenties, so I had gotten married at 21 and, um, from 21 to 23, they, they escalated even more. And here's, what's really weird, Debbie is I still went to my job as a secretary every day, you know, but nobody knew that the, the five minutes I was driving there, that I was shaking all over and, and sweating and, you know, nobody knew I was even having this issue really, because I was so ashamed. I was, I mean, how do you explain that you're mentally messed up in the head and you're 22 years old and you can't be left by yourself or you're scared when everybody leaves for lunch and you have to man the office by yourself for an hour. So I kept it in and it continued to escalate. And there was one specific time. Well, actually, let me back up. So for your audience, for people who really don't understand what a panic attack is, Oh, my audience, but many of them have had them. And it's because, you know, when we're healing from a traumatic event, it's very common. But for those who haven't, please explain. Yeah, because I think that what I tell people, if you've never, there's a difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And so a panic attack is way more intense. Not that an anxiety attack feels good, but we are really talking about it, the, the worst kind of terror a person can feel. And the best way that I describe it to my audiences is if I were to put you on a train track and, and there's a train that's coming at you at 300 miles per hour. And I tell you, Debbie, I promise you are not in any danger. That train is going to stop and it's going to stop one inch before it gets to your nose, Yikes. but you are 100% safe. You know how you would feel. I mean, you you would feel like you were dying. You would mm -hmm. almost want to lose consciousness. You would begin to shake all over. You would feel out of your body. You would have feelings of unreality. Your heart would beat really fast. Mm -hmm. But the, the bottom line is the train really is going to stop and you're in no danger, mm -hmm. which is, that's what a panic attack is. There's really no danger, but you still feel all of those feelings. The problem is there's, not, there's never a train coming at me. There's never somebody holding a knife to my throat. There's no one that has a gun pointed at my child. And because my brain cannot attach a reason for these feelings, it then begins to feel like it's crazy because I don't have a logical reason for why I'm feeling the way I feel. And you know what it is too? It's you can't you can't logically talk your way out of it because it's you're you're it's the wrong language. 
So what you're going through right then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just recently read a book called Rewire Your Brain. Mm -hmm. And it's the first book that I've ever heard that distinguishes between a panic attack and an anxiety attack. Because in an anxiety attack, you still have your prefrontal cortex that's able to look around and at least disseminate the information. Mm -hmm. But a panic attack is happening in your amygdala and and, and it actually shuts down the prefrontal cortex in order to help you cope. But that's why I feel extreme confusion and there's no logic to, to my feelings. And, and the prefrontal cortex is completely offline. Yeah, it's completely gone. There's so no this, rationalization. And, and you know what's so interesting about this too? So this is why if someone, and I hope everybody listening, when someone like, let's say you've been going through something like this and someone says, oh, just calm down. You know, it, it's, you're speaking, like someone's speaking to you as if it's a rational, logical thing. And, and it's not, it's, it's, no. your, it's the wrong language. So what were this? So what were the suggestions that? So, yeah. Yeah. So what happened for me is, And I'll never forget this moment, but um, back in the mid nineties, I don't know if you remember this, but the home decor was the burgundy and the like forest green colors. Do you Mm -hmm. remember that? Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) And my husband at the time had left to go to work for the day. And that usually left me at home for about 30 minutes. And so as soon as he walked out the door, this would begin to happen. And I would jump on the phone and call him or have him talk me through it or have the phone in my hand, getting ready to dial 911. But this one particular moment, I just, I, I just went to my bathroom because I had been dealing with multiple times a day, dealing with these feelings. And um, I laid on my bath mat rug. Um, and when I tell this story, it does make me emotional. It really was one of those bathroom moments. But to this day, I can feel the, the forest green bath mat, you know, the plush bath mat against my cheek. Um, and I got into the fetal position and um, I pleaded with God and I just said, I, um, I don't have the courage to take my own life, but I really need you to take my life. I find that every five minutes of every day is a struggle for me and I can't do it anymore and I can't get any answers. Um, and it's interesting because I also remember, and I don't know, I don't know that it was a voice. I don't know if it was this like internal part of Kim Strobel that was really still there living and breathing, but I somehow heard the message, which is, it is time to get help and you are made for more. Mm-hmm. You are, so put your big girl panties on and let's get this figured out. And by some miracle, I went to my general doctor. Nobody had told me to. I mean, it was, we just didn't know anything about this. And he um, told me what it was. He put me on Zoloft. And, um, and then I got into therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, where I had to do all kinds of crazy things. Like today, Kim, you're going to drive to Walmart, which is five minutes away. And you're going to walk in the door and you're going to walk to the back of the store and you're going to touch the back wall and you're going to walk back out. Mm -hmm. And I would have said, please just go ahead and take my two arms because that feels way easier than what you're asking me to do. And that's what I did. Like I just did the work. I did all of the hard things. Whenever everybody at the office would leave for lunch, I would go back to my boss's office because he had a spin chair 
and I would spin myself for three minutes straight so that I could bring on the feelings of dizziness and maybe faintness and then learn to teach my brain that I could feel those feelings and come out of those feelings. Wow. And you know, it's, what's also so interesting about this. It's, it always seems like when there is, it's like that, that, um, it's the dark night of the soul and that surrender. And it's from that space where we're like, I just give up, give me an answer. I'm ready. I'm open. I'm listening. And I think it was Rumi who and I always botch up quotes. Everybody knows, but something like where the, there's the crack and that's where the light shines in. Yeah. And that was the day that, you know, you may have cracked and then the light just, just shine right in. And, and that's what leads to, next steps and a willingness to look at things differently and do things differently. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened with you. It is. And I'll be the first to tell you that I think the, the Zoloft saved my life. I think it, it started to get the chemicals in my brain uh, in a place to where I could start to even do the work that I needed to do. Um, I would put that cognitive behavioral therapy as even maybe even more important or just as important as the antidepressant. And then that is actually what led me to catapulting myself into the self-help field. I became so determined to take responsibility for my life and to really co-create my life with God from the inside out. And so that's really how the happiness coach was born because for 20 years now, this is the stuff that I've studied like how can we learn to overcome hard things and still create massive amounts of joy in our life so how so now with the cognitive behavioral therapy and you know and, and the zoloft you said it really it got you on a, a a better path at least to start working through things and then personal development and i mean i, I just that for me that's that's where i live that's that's what moves the needle on everything were there certain authors that you read or things that you studied, seminars you went to? I mean, who moved the needle for you? Who really helped in that way? The number one book that I think helped me was called Mastering Your Anxiety by, I think it's David Barlow. Mm -hmm. um, and that also included a workbook with exercises to teach you how to monitor your thoughts um, and I'm going to look that up just to make sure that that's the author, but that was probably the number one book back then. Mm -hmm. But um, I will tell you that anything by Dr. Claire Weeks, have you mm -hmm. heard of Dr. Claire Weeks? No, I haven't. She is, um, a, I think she's a psychiatrist way, way back, maybe in the 1930s, who mm -hmm. was the first like woman to identify what's actually happening in our brain and, and why it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started to read a ton of her books. Um, yeah, it is by David Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've read a ton of her books, Dr. Claire Weeks, about nerves. And then the Rewire Your Brain, um, I have to tell you, that's one in the last year that has, it's called Rewire Your Anxious Brain, and it's mm -hmm. by Catherine Pittman, PhD. Um, so yeah, those, you know, for me, I just, the more I started to understand what the symptoms were, that they were not dangerous, but also why I felt the way I did, then that really helped me be able to do the work that I needed to do on myself. I mean, 
I do lots of things, Debbie. I run 35 miles a week to help with this. Um, I used a homopathy doctor out in California to help me get at the core. Uh, I didn't want to just use the Band-Aid of the antidepressant and not get at the layers under me that were contributing to my issues. And I'm um, so glad you said that too, because it's one thing to just, you, you know, you need that immediate support, but I love that you knew, you know, you looked at it like, okay, this is a bandaid and there's obviously some other things and I need to get to that. So that, I, that thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And so through homopathy, you know, we've had to dig back through all the traumas of my life that, I mean, I, I was never raped or molested. I don't have anything like that big, but all the other things that, that seemed really small at the time that also were contributing to my problem. Well, and it's also, you know, and, and this is an important thing too, because it's how it's being interpreted. Yes. You know, it's, it's really, so you could have been this little girl who where something mild may have happened, like someone threw out your cookies, you know, and then someone, inter you could have interpreted that as I'm not loved, whatever, you know, and it's, it's in the interpretation. And then when we feed that, that's what grows. And it could be, it doesn't always have to be that big major trauma or major betrayal or something. It could be, you know, what we call death by a thousand cuts, where it's these small, insidious, little consistent actions over time that yeah. just do a tremendous amount of damage. And one of the things that has come out from my own therapy and my own homopathy therapy, um, where I actually, uh, Dr. Sandra Kamiak is a homopathy doctor, but she's also a psychiatrist. And one of the things that come out, came out was like little bitty things. So for example, um, when I was a little baby, I have this really super loving mom, but of course you're supposed to let your baby cry in their crib. Right. But um, my psychologist, Dr. Mary Posner, she actually said, I, I bet you were the type of child, Kim, who had a blanket. And do you know, for the first time in 40 years, I said the word blankie lot. That's what I called my blankie, a blankie lot. And she goes, and I bet your mom took it away from you, didn't she? And I said, yeah, I remember the day my mom took my blankie a lot away from me because that's what I used to soothe myself in the crib when she wouldn't come get me when I was crying. And she was a wonderful mother. She was just trying to get me to self-soothe, you know? Right. And then my dad talks about a time when he, my mother and him, he were fighting back and forth. And he said, I ran to her and then to him and I didn't know where to go, where to go. And he goes, I've always wondered, Kim, if that's a little part of just your, your um, anxiety. And, and I can identify all these little things, Debbie, that have happened to me. And the core theme of them is that I felt powerless. Mm. It's I a felt a big powerful. word. Yeah. yeah. And then we live into that if we don't do something about it. So then tell us how, because I want to make sure we get this in before we wrap up. So you started now, so now you're running and you're doing this homeopathy and you're learning all these great things. What was the difference in how you felt? What did it do for you? What it really did, I think for me, is... I had also really just learned in my life to play really small. Like who was, because my feelings of worthiness were so low. Yeah. Um, not just because I had panic disorder, but because I never, you know, 
whatever. I was never part of the popular crowd in school. Or I remember the time in seventh grade when one of the popular girls slapped me and told me to shut up that I didn't have anything valuable to contribute, you know? Um, and I look back through and I see that I had this like big vivacious leadership personality um, that actually like the real Kim Strobel got to come out and she is so fantastic. She's so fantastic, but she also still struggles. Like I had a, my worst relapse in 20 years of panic disorder in 2018, Debbie. And I went back to being afraid to drive by myself and to go to Walmart. Um, and I kind of think I know at that time that, that there were a few things that caused that to happen. Um, and I always laugh because see what ended up happening is I, I became a school teacher and I taught fourth grade and then I became a curriculum director. And then I launched my education consulting business, Strobel Education. And I started becoming a motivational speaker and traveling around the country. And then in 28 or 20. 18, I decided like, let's go full strong with this other business, Kim Strobel, the happiness coach. And let's create um, a 90 day program that teaches women how to step into the arena of bigness and, and how to be seen and show up and embody all that they are. And I was working 80 hours a work week, you know, and all of a sudden I had a massive panic attack coming back from a speaking event. And it took me right back almost to where I was when I was 21 years old and I was devastated. Um, you know, here I am flying across the country, giving uh, talks to thousands of people. And I'm also struggling to drive to Walmart, which is five minutes away from my house. Um, and so I always laugh that like the whole time I developed the happiness curriculum, I was the most unhappy again <laughs> in my mm. life. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, it's interesting because it could have been just, just a fear of playing big right? And, and that's it. Where you were headed with your business could have been just taking you to some place that, that mentally and emotionally, you just, you were you didn't catch up to it yet. But you know, you know I remember, what it, yeah. yeah. You know what it else was, Debbie, since, since you talk so much about betrayal, I was also betraying myself again and I didn't realize it. And so my new learning as I've come out of this relapse and done all the work again is when I started to step into my bigness, I also um, became this extremely driven, high overachiever woman. And the reason I did that, part of the reason is it's who I am, but part of the reason is so that we can squash down and delete and remove that weak little Kim Strobel who had those struggles at one time in her life. And so I feel like I became so ambitious to try to deal with what I considered were the weak parts of my personality. Mm. That is one of the things that came to fruition as I did my therapy again in the last two years is I loathed the Kim Strobel who had panic attacks. I despised her. I hated her. That was such a weakness. And my new learning, Debbie, is that I get to be the badass who steps on the stage like I did four days ago in Texas but I also am the Kim Strobel who still sometimes struggles and she deserves to be loved and, accept and accepted because she's no less than the powerhouse Kim Strobel. And isn't it amazing when you embrace all sides of you, you completely come into alignment and that's, that's when you are looking, feeling, living, performing 
at your absolute best. And it becomes easier because you don't have to try to be anything else than all of the wonderful parts that make you, you. So Kim, where do we go to learn more about you? Yeah. Um, so I do have a podcast called She Finds Joy. Um, and then I have a free Facebook group called She Finds Joy. Um, and it's where I just go in and we talk about how can we as women and, and mothers and ambitious career w- women, how can we really co-create our life from the inside out? Um, and so, yeah, that, that's where you can find me. I'd, I'd love to have you in there. Um, and at some point, I, I would love to revisit because, you know, you were talking about external circumstances. And just from the happiness research, I, I would love to let your audience know that your long-term happiness, only 10% of your long-term happiness has to do with your external circumstances, mm. Debbie. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. It's an inside job. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I know my listeners are going to get so much out of what you shared today. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Dealing with anxiety and panic can be so debilitating, but the good news is there are amazing strategies to help you heal. For Kim, it was a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and medication in the beginning, then moving towards exercise, homeopathy, and rewiring her brain. Stay in touch with Kim by going to kimstrobel.com, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. It doesn't have to be the major traumas that impact us mentally and emotionally. It can be a low self-esteem, a sense of powerlessness, or any other negative emotion we feel based on how we've interpreted something. Left unchecked, we can live a life believing something either we've told ourselves or something that someone else told us. But when we uncover those feelings and take a good look at them, then we know what needs our attention and our healing. Of course, these beliefs can create physical, mental, and emotional symptoms, so take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz to see what may be lingering for you at the pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And I am so excited to share the PBT Institute membership community with you. Imagine everything you'd ever need to become your physical, mental, and emotional best. Community, support, certified coaches, and practitioners you could schedule time with daily classes on all kinds of interesting topics, curated experts teaching advanced strategies in the areas of health, mindset, personal development, spirituality. Imagine the most friendly, welcoming, and supportive place to become your best all online. I am so excited to welcome you. Just go to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.